Welcome back, everyone. My name is Nick Lundberg, and this is the Sports Roundtable, your end-of-the-week sports update on all things Michigan State. We are live here from Impact Station with Joe Dez. It's your first time on the podcast, Joe. Good for you to be here. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to get this going. That's good. So we're going to just jump right into it. First off, I want to talk about women's soccer. They're really making waves around campus as previously they beat number 5 Northwestern 2-1 to one on the road. They're now ranked 6 in the country by the U.S. Soccer Coaches Poll. Lauren Kozel, the goalkeeper, is recently named a top 100 player in the country. Courtney Kohler is named a top 100 freshman. Sam White has been racking up Big Ten um, Defensive Player of the Week awards. And they have an opportunity to win the Big Ten for the second time ever, their first time since 1994. Joe, this season has just been magnificent for the women's soccer program. Yeah, the fact they're up with multiple players in the top 100, top 100 freshmen also coming in first year and actually making that big of an impact is very impressive stuff to see from that team. Exactly. And I just wanted to say, Lauren Kozel, who's been here for the ups and the downs, the team was not very good before Jeff Hostler showed up last year. And being named a top 100 player, sticking through all the losses before that, it's just a very, very honorable thing and it's very good to see her make that you know jump to being recognized as a top 100 player in the nation and they still got a couple games left to continue to prove themselves they face uh two top 20 teams one in ohio state and then another one coming up against rutgers so we'll see if they can manage to come out of these next two tough tough games with you know the historic finish for the second time since 1994 yeah, first time, I believe 28 years what that would be. Pretty insane stuff. The fact that they had that win over number 5 Northwestern, that, that's a statement game. Like, that shows what they are made of and what they are coming into the season with. Exactly. And switching over to men's soccer, they beat Rutgers 4-3 to three on Sunday. They are unbeaten in five of their last six mass- matches. They now sit at 6-5-2 and two overall and 3-1-1 one one in Big Ten play. They'll face Maryland, who is number one in the Big Ten tonight at 7 p.m. And right now they sit at right behind Ohio State in the in the Big Ten and but they've been on a hot streak and they started off really slow this year but it's been good to see them kind of build up to become one of the better teams in Big Ten play. Yeah I was gonna say it looks like they turned their season completely around before that that would mean they had one win so now they've won five of the last six that's impressive stuff that actually shows the resiliency of that team. And it's good to see them turn it up at such a crucial point in the season because we know that teams especially in college that get hot late in the season can carry that momentum into the postseason play and if they can do that then maybe some special things will happen like a couple years ago when they went to um, final four with when they were will perkins who's a leader on that team has experience going to big games like that so if they can keep up this hot streak and maybe end up to where they were a couple years ago anything could happen yeah i really can't underestimate this team i feel like a coach would rather have the team heat up near the end of the season than cool down at the end be hot at the beginning because when you're going to playoffs you want momentum and that's what they have right now exactly and then moving on to volleyball who hasn't been as hot as the men's and women's soccer team but they started off just as hot they lost three to oh three to zero excuse me against michigan but they did set a record attendance with seven thousand three hundred twenty six fans showing up on last friday which was about 500 more than their record set in 2016. Um, and then they lost to Indiana on the road in a five-set thriller. They now sit at 10-9 to nine, 10-9 in the season and only 1-7 in Big Ten play. And they'll face another tough opponent in number 5, Wisconsin, coming up tonight at 8 p.m. But I know that it's been a touch stretch for the team in Big Ten play, but I talked about this earlier with my other co-hosts that 
you can't expect much from a first year head coach, especially with a program that has that hasn't been, you know, relatively elite in a while and especially in a conference with so many great teams. Yeah, one thing I have to say too, I was watching the University of Michigan game, even though they lost three to zero, it was a close game, is what's weird. Second set, they had to win by two multiple times. Ended up going for the final score would be like twenty nine twenty seven, I believe. Pretty insane stuff. Like you get swept you are not supposed to be close at all. They were close in every single set, and they, they were showing what they were doing on that play, or in that game, I should say. And then um, it's the Big Ten also. It's one of the best conferences in college volleyball. It has to be expected that there might be some losses that come with that. Exactly, and with a first-year head coach like Leah Johnson, you want to see fight from your team. And like you said, they didn't roll over against a very good Michigan team. Obviously, it's easier to do that when you have 7,000 fans in the Breslin <laughs> Uh, for the first time this season there at Breslin, if if people haven't known. But it's good to see fight from a lot of young players, especially with the young coach. It's it, it tells you that they're buying into what she's having to say. And, I mean, they beat the teams they were supposed to be coming into Big Ten play. They just haven't – they just have had a rough go of it against top teams in the country, which can be expected from new, you know, new coaching staff, new players. Every, everything's basically new to them. Yeah, they're still adjusting a little bit. You have a couple more weeks. I can imagine that they'll be playing a little bit like more cohesive, I'd say. But also, you got to applaud the school spirit right there. The fact they broke the record attendance, or attendance record, I should say, in the presence center, too. People didn't know how that move was going to go, so that's very impressive stuff to see. Exactly. It's good to see that from a program that needs some more support and some more love from the fan base, in my opinion. But moving on to basketball, which the season's starting to heat up. They, both teams, the men's and women's team, will tip off in about two weeks with the women's team playing host to Saginaw Valley in their exhibition and the men's teams host the men's team hosting Grand Valley for their exhibition on November 1st but Big Ten Media Days were last week and we heard from Susie Merchant and Tom Izzo and I want to talk about what Susie Merchant had to say first she mentioned that her team the best part about her team is that they're healthy this year I know last year they were down without Julia Aralt and Tori Osmond and I talked about in my previous podcast, I don't know, Joe, if you were at Midnight Madness or saw any of the scrimmages or anything, but Julia Aral was lighting it up. She had, at one point, she had eight points of her own in a 10-minute scrimmage, and she started off the game with a layup, and it's just like you couldn't even tell that she was injured all of last year. Yeah, she has to be coming out of the season with something that proves is a thing. She realizes there's only a certain amount of years of college eligibility. She wants to use hers to the maximum, which is what she's going to do this year, in my mind. Exactly. And Tori Osmond is coming back. She missed all of last year, too. She'll be a big piece. But she mentioned a lot about the new transfers coming in. And these are some pretty big-time names. You've got Kamari McDaniel, transfer from Baylor. Gabby Elliott, a transfer from Clemson. Two, you know, big uh, Power 5 schools. And then Stephanie Fisher from Stephen F. Austin. And she mentioned that the fact that she's from Sweden as well as Matilda Eck, which can build that connection with your international players. And we know how special Matilda Eck can be. She absolutely is a sniper she can drill it from just about anywhere beyond the three-point line and it's good that to see um her have a connection like that with another transfer coming in yeah one thing I wanted to mention about Gabby Elliott from Clemson also she was named an all ACC freshman player of the year last year she's coming out this year with a lot of momentum she should be showing up every single game it's and it's good it seems like the guard the team's guard play is a lot deeper than last year even though you lose a player like Nia Cloudon, who we know how special she was, she dropped, and just to mention how special she was, she dropped 50 points in a game that wasn't even televised. So 
she that game should have been televised in my opinion but it's all good but yeah i imagine her highlights were televised a little bit exactly points in that game yeah she so it's it's no easy task to step up for a player like that when you lose someone like that but you mentioned gabbielli we've got dd hageman running the show and then a rolt's coming back among other pieces that are in there so it's going to be exciting to see what they can do this season and i mean we didn't we didn't. I want to mention Kamari McDaniel. She actually was one of the players that went to Big Ten Media Day to represent the team. So you can tell how highly Merchant thinks of her as well as Elliot and Fisher to mention them. But moving over to the men's side, Tom Izzo, of course, was asked the question when he's going to retire. And he gave an interesting answer. He said he's going to do it like Jay Wright did. And I think that that's the right approach if... People don't know how Jay Wright did it. He basically said that once he stops enjoying taking red eyes from across the country and going on recruiting trips and just once he says he loses that passion, he's going to quit. And I think that's I think that's the right way to do it. No, 100%. Because once they lose the passion, you can see it in the way that they coach their team, basically. you can like The players are going to understand. And one of the big things about Michigan State, Tom Izzo's passion and how much he loves the players and the game is what draws so many recruits. If he doesn't have that anymore, then he's not Tom Izzo is one of the things. So I think that's the best way to go about it. He doesn't want to lose his actual self. Exactly. And you can see that he hasn't lost that passion in his recent recruiting. We know about the highly touted class coming in next year. This year seems to be more like a transitional year of sorts with you kind of lack that front court depth that a lot of people have been talking about. Even though Izzo did mention that he still believes that strong guard play, he favors that over dominant big man play and we've seen like the likes of Zach Eady and Hunter Dickinson in the Big Ten he mentioned those guys um, as very phenomenal players but um, we know that next year going back to the recruiting aspect we know that next year that class is highly touted he's been hosting some very uh, more some 2024 2025 athletes that four and five stars so it's good to see that he's it seems like he's more motivated than ever to bring a winning to bring a championship back to East Lansing. Yeah, I think he definitely wants to get a championship before he retires. I imagine that is the main goal he's setting the sights on. One thing, though, obviously next year, pretty insane stuff is coming for the basketball program. But this year, one freshman is coming in, the big man, Jackson Kohler. I'm actually really excited to see how he does. When you look at websites, he's listed between 6'8", 6'10". Not fully sure which one it is, but he's 250 pounds. He's a freshman. Insane post moves. Defense might not be the best right now. Tom Izzo can work on that. But his post moves are going to be the song that actually really helps us going into March Madness, going in the playoffs, all those type of things, you need a big man who can score down low. Yeah, he was coming in, he was very highly touted, and a lot of scouts and analysts actually had him as the best post-up player coming into college. And I could see this year, after that scrimmage, watching him work against, I know Madi, everyone, we know Madi barely played in the, over the last two years, and he's going to step into this big starting role, but... To do that against a junior center, like, to absolutely, when he put him in the post, Madi looked lost sometimes out there. And that's, I feel like that's more of a testament to just how good Kohler can be in that low post, working that high post, using his footwork. And, I mean, he's got, his jump shot is just, it's pure. So it's more of a guard's jumper, if anything. But I'm excited to see him work on the offensive end. Like you said, the defense will come. But I also wanted to talk about, the fact that Izzo brought five guys to Big Ten Media Day compared to the average of just around like three players. But he mentioned that he brought these guys because they've made such a big jump in the offseason. And I want to say that they've Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, A.J. Hogarth, Jay Nakins, and Tyson Walker. And I think 
Izzo bringing all of these guys speaks volumes to the way they've improved in the offseason. Yeah, one thing I know is Malik Hall, 42.6% from three last year. He's going to be going off this year. I'm excited to see what comes for his senior season. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see all of these guys work. I noticed that A.J. Hogard looked, and Joey Hauser actually, they both lost some weight. It was more surprising to see from Joey Hauser in that scrimmage that he lost, he looked a little more lean. Um, he was bring, They were both bringing the ball up. A.J. was sh- shooting it with more confidence, and that's one thing I want to see from him this year is the ability to progress in that three-point shot. And Joey Hauser, he was bringing the ball up. He looked a lot more lean, and I want to see him more of in a role like we did in the Davidson game because I know that even though we're thin in the front court this season, his game really is on the outside. It's not He doesn't really have that ability to play and do well against Big Ten players down low, at least what he from what he showed last season. But against Davidson, when they had him stretch the floor and put him in the 15-foot the post in that area, he made things happen, and I want to see more of that kind of come from Joey Hauser. And the fact that he's lost weight and looks more lean tells me that he might have more of a role on the outside in the perimeter. Yeah, I think Hauser's definitely going to be used as a stretch big. He, he shoots 39.1% for career from three. That is excellent for a big man. He's going to be put probably corner threes outside the arc, just basically allowing his teammates to pass to him. One thing, though, you mentioned A.J. Hogard. His jump shot, you say, is looking a little bit more confident. He is amazing as a playmaker, loves getting his teammates involved, 20% career three-point shooter. If he can get that jump shot going, he is going to be an insane player this year. Yeah, and um, Tom Izzo mentioned that A.J. Hogard is his guy, his quarterback, um, and so it's going to be good to see Kind of last year, Walker and Hogard kind of went back and forth sharing the starting point guard role. They even played together on the floor at some point, which I think that they're going to play together on the floor a lot this year, just based on the fact that Tyson Walker is a knockdown three-point shooter. But I know that this is AJ's team now, as Izzo was saying, and it's going to be good or interesting to see him step into that role as the true leader or the true quarterback of the team uh, next to Malik Hall as a leader. And... Um, you know, take the offense, take the reins of the offense and, you know, make it his own. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see what the two guards, who are both pretty good playmakers, are actually able to do when they're both on the floor together. Walker, for the first 20 games last year, he ended up averaging 2.4 turnovers. And then for the last uh, 16 games under Rizzo, 1.1 turnovers. Cut that in half. So the fact that they have two players who can actually involve all their teammates is going to make the guard position excellent this year to watch. And one thing I wanted to I want to see more out of Tyson Walker is just let it fly because we know he can hit like when he shot it last year, he it seemed like everything went in for him and he showed a reluctancy to take some of those threes last season where he preferred to he I feel like he was doing too much as a point guard. He wanted to be a pass first playmaker guy like for which is probably what Izzo was preaching to him, but he when he took that three with those threes, it just seemed like they all went in. And I want to see him take more of steps as you know a true three point shooter because I feel like that's where his bread and butter is. Honestly, no, I agree with you completely. If this team plays confident, they can be a deep threat for March Madness coming up in a couple months. And yeah, and the one thing I mentioned that could have a negative effect on them is their rebounding. And Izzo mentioned that he is worried a little bit about the lack of size they share in the front court. But um, he also said that he's planning to use his disadvantages and make them advantages against other teams. So playing small against teams like, let's say, Michigan with Hunter Dickinson or Purdue with Zach Eady, 
who have bigger players, playing small can kind of get them out of their you know comfort zone. We saw that against we saw that with Purdue again in the March Madness against oh my gosh who made the run. I'm blanking on who beat them in March Madness. Oh, I know who you're talking about. The Cinderella team. Yeah. I want to say St. Peter's. St. Peter's, yes, St. Peter's. So St. Peter's didn't have the biggest lineup out there, um, and we know that, you know, they played lights out, obviously. But to show the fact that a team like that, they even though they didn't play their best game against Purdue, they still managed to win and throw off kind of that big, the big fellow they had in the middle was Zach Eady. So maybe Michigan State can kind of replicate against teams like that what kind of what St. Peter's did to beat Purdue but it's going to be interesting to see how the team you know starts to mesh together as especially after that non-conference schedule. Yeah, with the spacing and versatility from so many of the players on this team, if they can draw those big players out to the perimeter, make them guard around there, they're going to be actually drawing them into a mismatch, which I am very excited to see how they actually end up capitalizing on that. And we talked about we have the shooters to do that, so it's I hope to see some of that this year from the squad. But moving on to the hockey team, um, they had a very big win over the weekend against number 16 UMass Lowell. They're now 2-2 two and two on the season. They split that series against UMass Lowell. Uh, their first game they won 4-3. I believe their second game they lost 1-2. to But um, for a young coach like Adam Nightingale to go in against your first-ranked opponent ever and come out with a split in the season series, is always, it's always a good thing. Yeah, there's a reason they're ranked. The fact they were able to capitalize and get at least one win out of that was a great job by the coach and the team together as a, as a whole, I guess. Exactly. And the freshmen have been stepping up, and that's been good to see, especially with, like, it's kind of like what we mentioned with the volleyball program. You've got a first-year head coach, and we know that Munn is, we talked a lot about this, but Munn has been renovated. It's kind of like the volleyball team moving to Breslin. You've got some new new things to work with and um, a new coach and some new players and a whole new staff. and. Getting a win like this is very big for a team's confidence going forward, especially a young team like the hockey team is. Um, so it was good to see them come out and play hard. They played hard all four games this year, but it's always good to see two of those games come out with wins. Yeah, you mentioned the confidence. I also think the trust in the coach is going to be exponentially better after this game. They show that they can beat a ranked opponent. They show that they can beat the best of the best. That Those players are going to be looking at their coach for advice for just how to play and just how to continue the season throughout the entire rest of the next month. Exactly. And they're going to face Long Island University for a two-game home series starting tonight at 7. And moving on, football. I'm actually looking forward to talking about football this week after a rough, rough three weeks. But they beat Wisconsin over the weekend for homecoming, and it was very, it was really good to see Jane Reed in his old shape. Yeah, Jaden Reed... I. He ha- he is definitely one of two players, I'd say, who has the argument for best all-around player on the team. Jacoby Winman, I'd say, would be the other. But Jaden Reed, he had a kick return, or a punt return, technically, touchdown called back. He had a passing touchdown, technically a perfect passer rating because he had one pass, 23 <laughs> yards, touchdown right there. Yep. Then he also had the overtime game-winning touchdown. He is a monster. Nine receptions, 119 yards. He is just so good at every facet of the game. It seems that he likes to make those big plays. We saw against Penn State, he went up. We saw against Michigan, he made that big fourth down catch. Um, we saw against Penn State, he made that big touchdown. It seems they all happen in that same spot in the corner of the end zone. We saw against uh, Pitt in the bowl game, he had a big catch to seal the win. And then this game was arguably one of the biggest games of the season for Michigan State, especially since you're going into bye week and then a matchup with, obviously, the school down the road. And we'll talk about that matchup in a minute. But it's good to see you know him kind of after having a very slow start to the season banged he was banged up a little bit 
come, you know, come back and do what he's been doing, or at least in the last game, and hopefully he can continue that going into the next game. But you did mention that Jacoby Whitman is arguably the second best or the best um, all-around player on the team, and he won the National uh, Defensive Player of the Week award for the second time this year and third time he's been named the Big Ten Defense Player of the Week award. I believe they dropped him back in coverage. He had an interception. They put him, you know, on the line. He forces a fumble. It seems like he can do everything out there. Yeah, and that forced fumble could not have come at a better time. We were in second overtime, possibly would have gone to a third if he didn't get that one right there. He ended up sealing the win for Michigan State, obviously right before the Jaden Reed touchdown. Those two players having one on offense and one on defense just shows the star power of this team. And with injuries, it seemed like the team, Mel Tucker wanted to switch up his defensive scheme. So he moved Winman from, he comes into Michigan State as a stand-up linebacker. You move him to defensive end, and the first two games he makes a ton of noise, and then the team kind of you know falls off from there. But then move him back to linebacker, one of the first plays of him going back to his regular stand-up position, he makes an interception, and it's just, it's incredible to watch a guy like this who's going to be playing on Sundays next year um, just you know, kind of carry uplifted defense by himself. And it was good. I feel like he had a lot of confidence regained this week with Xavier Henderson coming back. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely agree that the injuries did slow down the season a little bit. Getting those players back just makes the whole team so much more cohesive together because they had the whole preseason together. That's how this team was supposed to be. And then for weeks, it just was not able to actually be at 100% capacity. Now they're back, confident as ever, rolling into the next game coming up, obviously, after the bye week. Yeah, and I wanted to mention that the fact that they looked a lot more, like you said, cohesive with Xavier Henderson being back there um, for the first time since I believe it was the first game of the season he was he's been injured, and I really am ex- I'm I it gave me a lot of hope going into this bye week into this next week, seeing and especially with Slade up front too. That's another big piece that has been missing since the first two weeks of the season. Um, he's their run stopper. Their you know, their anchor in the middle and not having a guy like that just gashes you, can gash you up the up the middle. And we saw that in a couple of those games, um, especially the Minnesota game. But with these injuries, with these players coming back, it's very key for this defense that has been the weakest link of the team, even though the offense really before this hasn't really, you know, made any, you know, hasn't made their case as much as the defense has. But it's good to see that these players, these key players come back and the team kind of, or the defense at least, kind of put it together a little bit. Yeah, again, that run stopper back is a massive part, like you mentioned. One thing I also want to talk about on offense, Peyton Thorne obviously has caught a lot of heat recently. He did a great job this game. There was a play, I believe it was third and eight, where he needed to get the first down for them to get in the field goal range right before overtime. Obviously, we know that field goal ended up ending oh, up yeah. Yeah. yeah not the best overall but he tucked it down ran through risk getting hit he showed his leadership in this game and was one of the big reasons why they beat Wisconsin yeah I have never had a th- I haven't had a problem with Thorne this year I do think that he hasn't improved as much as I was like to have seen this year with his decision making but a lot of people have been calling for his job and I just don't think that's fair when it's not just his it's not just on him it's the whole team that hasn't been gelling together but you mentioned something that I did want to get into, which makes me nervous, was that last overtime call or the call, the play calling leading up to overtime. I was not very impressed with Jay Johnson's play calling this game, even though they did come up with big plays when they needed to. That call, that decision to go to throw it, 
to the flat to Jane Reed on third and two when you have no timeouts left and to not get the first down and then force a very um, long field goal to kind of speed speed up your kicker and then eventually not even getting off, not even getting it off, and the fact that your long snapper is injured, so you have a backup long snapper snapping it with in a rushed situation just wasn't a good look for the offensive play calling. No, I think the clock keep running, just like you said, definitely stressed out the players a tiny bit. They were thinking, like, we need to get this off in a certain amount of time or we're going to hear that buzzer and we got to go play like 15 more minutes of football. But what ended up happening, obviously, you said, backup long snapper, fumbled snap, not the best outcome there. You would definitely appreciate a little bit better play calling just to set up so the kicker was more comfortable, the long snapper was more comfortable in a big-time game situation that he was not supposed to technically be in for unless injury happened. And I definitely do agree with you that they have to kind of set up better for the players to be in the right mindset for that final play. But I know that winning washes away everything, so let's move on to the next game. Obviously, we have uh, Michigan coming up in the big house under the lights. It's going to be MSU. They always step up for games like these big rivalry games, but it's going to be a dogfight, and it's going to be a tough one because you've got Michigan coming in. They just whooped Penn State at home. The first half shouldn't have been that close. There was J.J. McCarthy made some questionable decisions, and Penn State, um, they capitalized on him. But uh, that run game for Michigan is looking very, very scary. That O-line just absolutely moves people. Yeah, one of the massive things about this, too, is most of the wins that you see from Michigan are just blowouts. I don't think that's going to happen this week. No matter what, it's a rivalry game. They're fighting for the state of Michigan even if the records are a little bit stark differences between the two, I think this is going to be a close game coming up. I definitely think Michigan State will come to play, as they always do. Um, and you always hear all the talking that the fans go back and forth with. But I'm just very concerned about our run defense going up against those guys up front for Michigan. They, I, At least against Penn State, who had one of the best defenses in the country coming in, they only gave up, a, I, th- I think, believe it was like 300 combined yards uh, of total rush, of total rush running offense, and then you come in to Michigan, and then you allow 160 yards and two touchdowns, not just from Blake Corum, but from Donovan Edwards. And against a team like that, to do that makes me a little nervous. No, that is definitely actually a terrifying stat to see. Almost half of the total yards they let up all season were let up in that game. Basically, obviously compounding on each other a little bit there. So different numbers work different ways, I guess. I was just talking myself into a circle there. But, no, definitely (laughs) not going to be the best to see how the run defense stands up against the run offense of Michigan. But, as you mentioned earlier, we do have a run stopper back in the middle. So, hopefully that strengthens the D-line a little bit, makes them ready to face such a tough opponent. And I think Michigan State is ready for the test. And who knows, Tuck might pull something out of his bag um, like he did last year. We we saw a couple couple tricky things. But it's going to be a good game. I am going to be in the stands. I don't know if you are, Joe. I spent about a pretty penny for the <laughs> game, so I really hope that it's it's going to be a good uh, good matchup. But I'm expecting a dogfight, and I hope that the game can be close, and who knows, anything can happen in a rivalry game. Oh, 100%. Don't worry, I empty my wallet too so I could be there. All right, good. That's, that's good. That's good. That's about all the time we have today, Joe. I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, that was a great time. I appreciate letting me on. Yep, and thank you for everyone for listening. Uh, We'll see you next Friday for another edition of Sports Roundtable. Peace out.